Hello, everybody. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and we're here to talk about reinvent yourself. So here's a question for you. What do you do when you have an idea for an app, but you come out of strategic planning and women's issues at Barnard, and you're not a coder, but you're sure this is an actual thing? Um, where do you go? How do you start? You're over 50. You're not 25. <laughs> um, how do you start something that, you know, those kinds of things where you say this should be an app or I have an app for that? Well, the good news is Amy Gidden is going to tell us. And the interesting thing about Amy is she comes out of consulting at Bain in Boston. Okay, what does that have to do with creating an app? Women's leadership at Barnard in New York. Um, she's a mom, so she had to move in and out of business a couple of times um, to make it the right timing for her. And also she was saying that, you know, we, we talk a lot about as you get older, and I hear this a lot, and you may feel this, that, you know, a lot of us who had a lot of confidence in our 20s or maybe even in high school because we played sports or whatever, over time, our confidence can be eroded. It can be eroded by business. It can be eroded by our personal life. It can be eroded by, you know, all those barriers out there for women that do exist. They're not imaginary. They do exist. And how do you get the confidence in your 50s to say, I'm going to plunge in and become a tech entrepreneur? So for those of you who are interested in putting butterflies in your stomach like that, uh, Amy is going to talk to us about how the hell you make that kind of transition. And we are happy to welcome Amy Gidden. So welcome, Amy. I'm so glad we have the chance to talk today. How are you up there in that cold weather of I am muddling through in this cold. I'm a little jealous of the warmth where you are, but I do like a change of seasons. We're good. Good. Yeah. That's right. I'll be coming up there when it's fall just so I can see everything change. You're right. So anyway, let's talk um, a little bit about you and your reinvention. I want to talk about Daily Aloha and how you got started. Let's start really with your history and how that history took you to where you are. And let's begin with, um, where did you grow up? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's getting very historical. Uh -huh. uh, um, I grew up in New Jersey in a suburb of New York city. I am in a kind of typical suburban setting. I'm the, one of the middles of four kids and I feel like a very middle child, mm -hmm. um, but I was always enamored with New York city. And I was determined that I would not be a bridge and tunnel person sometime in my life and I'd live in the city, <laughs> which did I did eventually. So how long were you in the city and what were you doing? Yeah, so I went to college. I went to Duke in North Carolina. And then my first job was um, at Bain & Company in Boston, which I loved. But I was still always just waiting for that time when I would move to New York City. So after about four years in Boston, I moved to New York and I lived there for, uh, in Manhattan for about 10 years. And were you at Bain the whole time there? I wasn't. Uh, when I went from Boston to New York, I transitioned from management consulting to financial services. I went and worked for American Express 
in downtown Manhattan. And were you a marketer or what kind of background do you have? Yeah, I started off in strategic planning, which is a pretty common pathway to go from management consulting to strategic planning within a company uh, with the intention that that would be a stepping stone into marketing roles within the company. So during my, my whole tenure at Amex, I was in strategic planning and then marketing and then uh, sales and then database marketing. So I really had quite a number of roles there. And then when we met, you were at Columbia. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so several stepping stones in between. So um, when I left Amex, I really left for personal reasons to be home with my young children more. So I consulted on my own so I could have a more flexible um, and remote schedule when my kids were little. And then when they got bigger, I was ready to get out of my PJs and show up to an office every day. So I went back to commuting into the city and worked for a brand consultancy. And then back into financial services. Gosh, this is making me feel like 100 years old, all these chapters. Uh, but And then when I left there, I went into women's leadership. And I worked at Barnard in Columbia. And I think that's where when we connected. You know, after many, many years in various executive and corporate roles, I was ready to do something with all my, um, my experiences as a woman, often as the only woman in a room and, or around a table, and to use that to help all the, the younger women coming up behind me in corporate America. So I ended up at Barnard doing that work. Can you describe what that work was? Because I think that's foundational for what you ended up doing later on. Um, and talk it, about what barriers you saw for women and what they were working on. You were on the Athena project, right? I was, yeah. I think what it was really interesting because I went to the Athena um, Center in Barnard because I had this intention, you know, to help other women navigate some of the corporate um, headwinds, which I'll describe. But I think what it what it did is it also helped me to decode my own experience, which I hadn't really fully understood even at that time. I knew there was something to uncover there. Um, um, but my work in helping others, I think as it often happens, helped me help myself at the same time. So, so what I had experienced was a lot of times where I felt like I didn't have the floor or where I didn't have the influence that I should have had or could have had um, with my peers um, because of my gender, where um, I was held back from um, not necessarily promotion, I, I, it's really influence. And I understood it at the time as a combination of my own reticence to take the floor or to take you know, power or influence combined with organizational and structural, structural barriers in the organization. And what I think I've come to understand is how intertwined those are, because after years and years of coming up against barriers, you, know, like you lose your confidence in some ways. So, so what I did at Barnard is I developed like day or sometimes multi-day curriculums for up and coming women leaders to address sort of this dual thing of what needs to happen internally to step into your leadership and what needs to happen in organizations to make them more conducive to women's advancement. 
And what kind of things are those? We hear a lot of talk about loss of confidence as people get older, which is so interesting. I hear a lot of women say, I used to be so confident in my 20s or I played sports in my high school years and I was super confident and somewhere along the line in my 30s or 40s, I lost it. Yeah, this whole confidence question is so tricky. Um, I, you know, from all I've read and just from my personal experience, you know, women aren't less confident. Um, it's sort of bled out of us over time. And I think what I see now as, as the confident drain for women in, in corporate environments is this um, razor thin margin that we have to operate at the intersection of what does a leader look like and what does a woman seem like? And from our leaders, from you know history, we ex we are accustomed to seeing quick decisiveness, command and control styles of leadership, um, making decisions without all the facts or without you know tapping into a broad range of expertise. All of those things, and what is expected of women is often behaviors like collaboration and compassion and nurturing. So what does it mean to be both a woman and a leader? And, and what kind of reactions do you get when you exhibit these different behaviors? And I think for women, um, the reactions they get and drain them of their confidence. So if they act you know, into their feminine styles they're seen as maybe weak or overly emotional if they act in a stereotypically male style of leadership they can be seen as you know a bitch or cold or some of these other things so it's very hard to navigate that and i think that's a big source of our loss of confidence over time so now that that you're you're losing confidence already <laughs> and now you decide you're going to be an entrepreneur how did it come about that you decided to be an entrepreneur and how did that fit into your personal life and what you wanted to do next as far as lifestyle too? Yeah, in retrospect, so crazy that if confidence is an issue that I'd want to be an entrepreneur. Wow. Um, if I had known that, what I know now, I may not have taken the leap, but I'm glad I have. Um, yeah, so I had an idea. The bottom line is I had an idea, and the idea I had um, felt so important to my values, my sense of purpose, my that what brings me meaning in my life. And it's not unrelated to what I discovered in my work in women's leadership, which is that women and all sorts of people um, can be so easily marginalized and not heard and not seen and... Um, left with a feeling of not squarely belonging. And that matters to me, that people felt, feel seen and heard and feel like they belong. So my idea is centered around that. And um, once I had the idea, I couldn't stop thinking about it and it really ended up feeling like a calling. So I con continued to consult while doing you, it, it, at my kitchen table, noodling this idea. And at some point I really took the plunge and forego, forwent for my consulting work and went all in on trying to make, trying to make a business out of this idea. And what is that business? Let's talk about it. Talk uh, about your idea, where it came from. 
and how it has grown and where we are with it. Sure. So the idea was to create a platform for people to feel a daily sense of connection and belonging. And I had the idea when I had an in-person, up-close experience with a sticky note wall in Union Square in New York City. And this was after the election in 2016 when people were feeling particularly like they did not belong anywhere. Um, they felt disconnected from their neighbors, the people who they thought they knew, looked unfamiliar all of a sudden, all this stuff where we felt silenced and separated. And I saw how this very simple sticky note project, which ended up being 50,000 notes of hope and affirmation in the subway, utterly transformed people's day. And I couldn't get out of my head. And I thought, okay, there's a digital platform that can have this same transformative, uplifting effect for folks. So I didn't know that it was gonna be a mobile app, which it is. I certainly didn't know that it was gonna be called Daily Aloha, which it is. But I knew there was some technical solution that would unleash the power of this physical project um, and make it accessible to everyone everywhere. Um, so now we have a mobile app. And every day I ask the world a single thought-provoking fill-in-the-blank question that people reflect on, they share their responses, and they connect to the thoughts and feelings of others around the world. And it's anonymous and free of judgment and free of status and popularity, which um, I believe has really made social media both a double-edged sword of connection, but also anxiety and separateness. So not only are we modeled after a physical project, but we're quite deliberately doing things quite different, differently than social media. So we launched um, nine months ago. We did our 2.0 version in December after getting a lot of feedback. And now we're, you know, we're really out there and growing pretty quickly. And what are you discovering about it? Oh, so much. Um, something about the app really invites um, feedback, which has been wonderful. I am learning how much we need to feel not alone. Um, of course, you know, we're wired for connection. Uh, we're wired for belonging. It's so fundamental to our feelings of well-being. Um, but I think the feedback I've gotten, I've it's become really poignant to me how like a two minute daily ritual like we're offering can really change someone's day because people don't, they feel, they're able to feel not alone and unique at the same time, which is so difficult sometimes. Um, and I am also learning how much we need daily rituals in our lives. Um, a lot of people have an intention to have a more mindful or meditative practice in their life, but it's been too hard to get into the habit or it's felt daunting. So being simple and accessible is really important. So I'm, so I'm learning about uh, ritual, I'm learning about mindfulness, I'm learning about um, belonging and how our well-being is just so tied into all three of those things. And what kind of, give us an example of what kind of questions you ask and what kind of responses you get. Oh, well, I'll tell you today's question because I, you know, I, I check it all day long to see what people are saying and how they're thinking and feeling in response to our question. And I try to make the questions really open-ended. So they do invite like a pretty diverse range of, of feelings and thoughts. So today's question is, I'm becoming blank. 
So I, I think long and hard about these questions, you know, as simple as they, as they are, they take, I, I labor over them. Um, so I was thinking about becoming over the weekend. And of course, Michelle Obama's book has us all thinking about what that means to become. And I was thinking about the importance of thinking about your life as a, a journey and a continuum. And on any given day, you know, you're becoming something more that, or different than you were yesterday. So I was really curious, you know, what the community would say in response to that question. And um, I've gotten responses quite quite deep to quite in the moment. Uh, many people are saying they're becoming more in tune with themselves, more self-aware. They're becoming more of who they really are inside. Some people are talking about abilities that they're, that they're gaining. I'm becoming more able to um, control my emotions, more able to do X, Y, Z. I've gotten a lot of people saying that they've become um, more you know, able at work, more able to express themselves, be their authentic selves, show up in that way. And then I've, then there's people that are feeling sad. People who are saying, I'm, you know, I'm becoming more, you know, downtrodden or depressed. People talk about how the news impacts them, how their emotional state is, you know, affected by our political and social environments. So it really runs the gamut. And I'll, I'll just look at the top of my app right now. I see the most recent response says, I'm becoming a man, which has re me really thinking about what is what that person is experiencing today. So it invites a lot of curiosity. Wow, interesting. What was the most response, the most surprising response you've ever gotten while you're doing this? Oh my gosh, I'm surprised every single day. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one that I, I got recently. I, I guess it's surprising, but it was also just so heartwarming that it comes to mind first, which is that um, people are starting to give a shout out to the community within the app. And I didn't really think about us as a community, honestly. I thought about us as a little bit more of a an intellectual experience of seeing what everybody is thinking and feeling as a way to enrich your own self-reflection. Um, but I didn't really think of us as a community because we're anonymous. We're, no one knows who anybody is. There's not even any user profiles. Um, but people, someone, someone said how grateful they were to be a part of the Daily Aloha community and they expressed thanks to the rest of the people that were participating in the app every day. And it was surprising. I thought, wow, maybe we really are a community. And it's gotten me thinking about all the ways that communities can form and how they can enrich our lives. So that's something I'm thinking a lot about lately. What were some of the impediments to becoming an entrepreneur at your age? Did you think about it? Did anybody say you're too old to do this or what, and what were your kids' reactions as well? Yeah. Um, so many impediments to just being an entrepreneur period. And then I think they're, they're amplified by being, you know, in midlife. Um, I would, three different things I would say from three different people that matter in my, my life. Um, my friends and work colleagues from the years, many of whom are friends, 
were sort of like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> like, you know, shouldn't you be gliding into an easier phase of your life? Shouldn't you just be consulting off into the sunset? You make good money at it, at it and it doesn't seem to be so difficult anymore. Um, so there was a lot of like, why, just why do you care? Why make your life harder? Um, and I, you know, I realized that they didn't fully understand, and even to this day don't, you know, how much drive I feel from the mission behind what I'm doing. Um, so I think there's an expectation, certainly for my circles of friends and colleagues, that at a certain point of your life, you should be just, you know, gliding off into the sunset, which I don't feel at all. I think secondly, there's the startup, especially tech startup ecosystem that glamorizes, you know, 25 year old men, kind of the, the whole Facebook model. Um, and there's just this feeling that what the face of a tech entrepreneur is, is a, is a young male who's take, rolling the dice, taking huge risks, raising millions of dollars on an idea. Um, and making it big. And I certainly fly in the face of that visual image of, of a tech founder. And I do go to a lot of startup events and tech events, and I'm an outlier. I mean, there's a few people that look like me, but um, it's definitely the minority. And I have to work really hard not to let that erode my confidence and to just to remind myself about how my wisdom and experience is an asset. Um, but I, I'll tell you, it's not so easy. Did you, um, did you raise yeah. money or did you self-fund? And what did you find when you were making that decision? Did age play into either of that? Yeah, I started off by self-funding. And at some point when I gave up my consulting practice, I realized that I can't both not make money and self-fund the business. So um, I went about raising money and I decided to do a friends and family fundraise via a convertible note. And doing that, I would say my age, and I, it's not really my age, but just the years lived, my experience and my network were instrumental. It was very much an asset in raising money because I was raising money from my own network. And after having you know, many years in, in business, not only was my network big, but um, I had a track record of, of success in business. So I think it gave people um, a greater level of comfort in handing me money for something that was really un unproven. And when you go to these tech meetups and tech things, because you're really pushing yourself into the belly of the beast of a different age group and everything. Does that make you feel good? Or do you feel when you say you feel like an outlier, but does it kind of make you feel empowered that you're the only person there like that? Or how do you deal with that? Because that can be intimidating. I've been in some of those events. We, we did a, mm -hmm. or was it a, one of the tech crews? Um, and it was all millennials and it was intimidating everybody was in their 30s they seemed to know absolutely everything had complete confidence that they knew all the answers <laughs> and it was intimidating for sure i have certainly had that experience i would say i've had every experience and i think that sometimes it's the event itself that causes me to feel a certain way based on what it's about and who's there but sometimes it's just 
you know, how I walk into the room, you know, you have good days and bad days, frankly, right? If things are going great in my business and I can kind of ride the wave of confidence into the event, that's great. If, if I've been really challenged, I might come in there on shakier ground. So it's a combination of the event and my mood. Um, and I've, I've felt all of it. And I feel what, what I've done lately that has seemed to help me is really own it. Like, not trying to blend in or be younger than I am or relate to the person, but really own where I am and, you know, pepper the conversation with my experience and what I've learned and, um, you know, kind of own the wisdom that I have now. You know, it's so interesting that you say these, you know, kind of young bucks have so much confidence and they do, but no humility, right? Like I think, where I feel so grateful to be at the age I am is that I have, I have the wisdom to be, to have humility. Like I know what I know. I know what I don't know. And I I know that I don't need to know it all. Um, So I love those. I love those environments because often it reminds me of what I have and what I've kind of earned over the years and sometimes the hard way that these young folks, I kind of feel like saying, oh, just you wait and see. (laughs) You'll see. Yeah, humility, I think, is a really interesting sort of thing to have because a lot of these people are very sure and they really don't have any experience where we tend to have more experience and we're less sure just because of time and age and having gone through things we were so sure of that don't work out the way you think they're going to. And I think it's actually a useful tool, um, but it's no, a difficult yeah. thing to teach. And I don't know that you can. I think it just comes with the with with experience. And I really agree how about how important it is in so many ways. But I think one thing that comes with humility, which maybe is a little bit ironic, is resilience, because often you come to humility because you've had experiences that reminded you of of your own limitations or the limitations of your knowledge or, you know, your expertise or just even your physical limitations. And with humility also becomes this, comes this idea that I, I don't have to have everything to still figure it out or to be successful. So once you have, you know, humility, you also have this inner knowing, that with even with your limitations, you're going to get there. So let's talk a little bit about people, for people who are listening, who have an idea that could be an app or that could be some kind of tech thing. What do they have to do? Do they first have to run out and get a tech partner? You were not a tech whiz yourself, right? So how do, you, how do they even start? Oh, I have this great idea for X. Where do you suggest they begin? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm thinking about like humility. I think it really, that really requires humility because you're right. I was not a tech founder, still not a tech founder. Um, so I was very reliant on finding and tapping the expertise of others. And, you know, you can't do that without a pretty healthy dose of humility. So I really mind my network to you know identify people that could advise me all along the way 
And I made some mistakes. The first person I hired to develop our prototype ended up disappearing and along with our code. So that was a moment of, of despair. Um, but again, I, you know, I learned something really important about partnering with technical people. So nothing's going to completely um, save you from making mistakes. But, you know, I think tapping your networks and having a lot of conversations is, is the way to get started. So, I, you know, I found my way to different advisors and experts and um, had many, many conversations uh, to help guide me to, to tech partners who I can trust and who are now really advisors to my business. So how did you find the wrong person for your tech idea? Where did you go look and what went wrong? Was it something that you wrote or did not write in your contract? Or was it where you found the tech person? I mean, that's pretty terrible that they walked off with your tech as well. Yes. What did you learn? So somebody else could learn from that. Yes. Um, what I learned is how challenging it is to assess someone's technical capabilities. So I had hired this guy who was great at developing the front end or a certain aspect of the app, but wasn't, didn't have the chops to develop the back end or like the, the network and database side of the app. And when we got to that point, he, I think he wasn't able to say he was then in over his head. So what I did later is I found someone who could advise me on assessing other people's technical proficiency. So that's a skill I don't have. The lack of that skill led me in the wrong direction the first time. And so now, you know, I found somebody who kind of can act like an interim CTO and could, can um, assess technical people. And I highly, you know, highly recommend that step for somebody who's non-technical building a technical product. But where do you go find that person? Do you go out on your social media and say, I need technical advice? Or, I mean, like, seriously, what are the steps? So I, Google is my friend. Um, I started mad Googling, you know, and I was looking at um, interim CTOs. I was Googling all these kind of phrases to help me find someone who would be an impartial advisor who didn't want to, who didn't want to be hired to be my technical person, but has had a, had a shingle out there to say, hey, I'll help you find technical people. Um, and I just found them through Googling and interviewing and you know, people that are really good in these different spaces have a lot of thought leadership out there. I've also come to be pretty reliant on whether people are writing about their areas of expertise. And I found someone through their writing, through their posting and their blogging about this particular role, this sort of technical advisor. Um, and I interviewed him and I got references and um, really just Googled my way to him, but with a lot of diligence. Okay. So a lot of hit and miss <laughs> following yeah. people. Were you following him on social media? Is that how you saw his writing? Um, I found, I found some blog posts that he, that he did. And then I started following him on social media. Yeah. Any other particulars like that? Did you have to learn about raising money? Where did you go to learn from that about that? Did you read books, blogs? Did you have advisors? How did you even get that part started? 
yeah, I mean, pretty much everything I've done, I had to learn one way or another um, and fundraising, absolutely, yes. So um, I read a lot about it and there is a lot written for startups and about startups. So it's, I found it to be pretty fertile ground to, to Google, even though Googling can be fraught, but there's a lot of resources out there and there's a lot of um, organizations that are, some of them are legal entities now that are catering to startups. Some of them are accelerators. All these different um, organizations in the startup ecosystem are providing free content for startups. So it's pretty rich. But with the fundraising piece, I ended up hiring an advisor as well. Um, I have found one of the hardest jobs as a startup founder is to decide when to muddle through with my own limited expertise and when to bring on a paid expert. And this is apropos what we just talked about with the tech advisor, but and also apropos this fundraising advisor. So in both of these cases, I started myself and then ended up bringing an advisor on at some point in the process. Are there any books or particular blogs you think somebody starting out should look at to get them oriented you know basically other than just starting with google was there anything that stuck in your memory as being particularly helpful yeah there oh, i'm just going to try to think of, of the name of it there's um there's a law a law firm that specializes in startups that is a really rich source of information when you're just starting out in terms of all the contracts needed they have really good advisory services and just resources when it comes to fundraising and the name is escaping me i can you know hand you it can over send to it to me and i'll put it in the show notes which will be great Perfect. and any other um books or blogs if you want to give me just a list i'll put it all in the show notes so everybody can follow and as, as we're closing, Amy, what sort of three pointers, really actionable things would you suggest for someone like us who's not a techie, but who has an idea that could be an app or has an idea um, that could be a tech kind of thing? What are, the, what are three things that you should or shouldn't do, <laughs> basically, to get yourself going? Yeah. Um... Let me start with this one we were just talking about, which is this whole conundrum of when to bring in paid expertise versus when to, to go it alone. Um, I certainly was too slow often in, in bringing people in. Um, resources are so constrained for a startup, both your, you know, your time and financial, and I think I was overly concerned about our financial resources without thinking about my time. So I would, I would say one thing is bring in a paid advisor from time to time, even if it feels a little painful to spend the money because it'll pay dividends in the long term, both on the quality of the decisions you're making, but also your time has value. So, um, so that's one. Um, another one I would say is asking for help, which I know sounds like a no brainer, but what we have as women with long histories is extensive networks. And people want to help. Um, sometimes we feel, I think we can feel, I certainly did, like my idea was so fragile and I didn't want to hold it up to the light of day prematurely and, and you know, 
make myself vulnerable to, to negative feedback or anything else. But you know what? If you don't ask, you're not going to get help. And people are really out there ready to help you. So don't be so precious with your idea because putting it out there early and often and getting feedback and support is, is invaluable. So that's number two. And I think number three is, um, you know, while you're putting yourself out there and mining your network for support and advice, you're going to have to also develop some healthy boundaries because um, there are people that are not going to be your champion um, for all sorts of reasons of their own. And you're going to have to develop sort of a healthy uh, radar for when and who to listen to and thank them and move on. And that's something I've also kind of learned the hard way. Um, sometimes people just aren't in your corner for very much their own reasons. And, you know, it's not about you, it's about them. So thank them and move on. I think a lot of times what we don't realize is that you changing and you moving can be very threatening to people who feel stuck. So they tell you not to do it, not not consciously, unconsciously, because it's less threatening. I really agree with that. I mean, there's FOMO, right, at every level of our society and every step of everyone's journey. And I, I do feel like it, there's a particular brand of that at our age where there's women that have made other choices, um, either work-life balance choices or career choices, and maybe they haven't had the guts or the fearlessness or the support or any number of reasons that have kind of prevented them from pursuing something that felt um, like it would be a dream. And it's hard for them to see someone else, you know, pursuing something that's a dream. And we just, it's just helpful to be aware of that. Yeah. Well, Amy, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, for your time. And where can people find Daily Aloha? Um, all over, I hope, but the quickest path is dailyaloha.com. And that's H-A-L-O-H-A. -A. That's it. And then that'll let you download our free app and, and uh, read a little bit more about what we're up to. And is it in the App Store as well um, for both iPhone and for non-iPhones? It is. It's for iPhone and Android, and um, it's quick to, and free to download. Great. Awesome. Well, we'll see you on the app, and we'll be answering your questions. Thanks so much for your time today. You too. Have a great day. So I want to thank you all for listening to Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Please subscribe if you enjoy us and please pass the word about us. We need to get bigger and bigger so that we can actually get some ads and get a way to pay for this, though we enjoy doing it, of course. And if you have any great reinventors who you think I should know about, you can write to me at leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at cubbyclub.com, C-O-V-E-Y club.com. And I hope that you will join Covey Club. We have a wonderful app called Covey Connect, where you can get in there and actually talk to women like you. And we also have some fabulous connection events coming up 
We have Camp Reinvention, which is the deep, deep work on reinventing yourself run by two fabulous coaches who I'm working with, Wendy and Dana. And you can see those on our site. We are also beginning to work on our Savannah Spa Trip in November, which is going to be November 2020. And we are in the process. Tomorrow, I think we're going to launch our New Orleans trip, which is everybody wanted to come see my reinvention in New Orleans. So I'm inviting everybody to come down here and see it as an insider. We are also going to do, work, do some work on change. When change comes to you, how do you handle it? And we are just going to have a lot of freaking fun eating food and, and seeing the sights and learning all about women's impact on this amazing city that I'm reinventing myself in. So anyway, thank you for joining us. Come join us at cubbyclub.com. Look at all the great events we have. And also join us on our virtual events, which are our webinars where I bring experts and we talk for an hour and you get to ask questions live. Take care.